This is Larry, and this is Larry's Sort of Fun Stories. Most of what you hear or read about actually happens somewhere in my life, and sometime you'll hear about my experiences, my strengths, and my hope as I continue to grow as a person. You'll discover that I've made mistakes along the way, but I'm trying one day at a time to live a better life, sharing a little of it as we go along here on Larry's Sort of Fun Stories. Just a little note, this podcast is sponsored by CollageTravelRadio.com. That's CollageTravelRadio.com. Collage Travel Radio, streaming on the internet 24-7 at CollageTravelRadio.com. Playing the music you remember, music you can sing along with, and music that you've heard on your travels. Plus great travel information and travel tips at CollageTravelRadio.com. And, you know, I'm also asking for your help. I'm having this weight issue, and uh, I haven't heard from you yet, but I'd like to hear some information on how I can hopefully hold this weight down. I'm sharing with you because Diane M. Smart from the Unlikely Gifts podcast suggested that I would share it with you, and maybe we can all work together on keeping our weight down. So I would like your help, and if you would, if you could drop me a line at larrysortoffunstories.com, I would appreciate it. Today is a three-part story that I've entitled Three Beds. The three beds represent different times in my life. The first bed is packed with a lot of emotion of fear and anger. The second bed represents sadness and distancing. The third bed represents sorrow and saying goodbye three pivotal times in my life, and they were all wrapped around a bed. Bed number one. Chillicothe, Illinois, 2.16 a.m., Tuesday morning, 1962. I was sleeping in my bed in the back bedroom, and I heard the sound of the wooden front door open. It was so quiet at that time at night. You know, when the front door opened and closed, you knew it. It had that certain memorable sound. It was my father dragging in, sneaking in from his Monday night rehearsal with the Orpheus Club in Peoria. The Orpheus Club was a group of all-male singers, blending harmonies of some of the popular music of that time. And Monday night was his night for rehearsing. Of course, if you believe a rehearsal lasted so late in the morning, you got to be kidding. My mother didn't believe it either. She'd put up with it too long as it was, and she'd had enough. This was going to be the time that she was going to confront him. She'd been sitting in the dark living room just waiting for him to come in. It was time to confront my father. There was tension in the house. They had been sleeping in separate beds, and she was ready to meet him head on. Now, my mother didn't get angry or raise her voice very often, but this night, she did. Where have you been? I know practice certainly doesn't last this long, my mother cried out in anger. What's her name? Big silence. I don't remember all the words that were spoken or shouted. 
But I remember finally my father was very combative. They argued throughout the house and finally ended up in front of my bedroom door. I could feel the hostility as my father was backed into a corner on the stairway that led to the second floor. I pulled the covers over my head, trying to drown out the vocal fury that was streaming into my bed. There was a brief silence, and then my father shouted, Back off, or I'll kill you. That ended it. My mother backed off, and somehow they stayed married for over 50 years. Years later, I got married and moved away. But to this day, I can remember hearing those awful words. A bed is supposed to be a tranquil place of peace and comfort. But that night, that night was one of the darkest nights of my childhood as I was hiding in my bed. Bed number two, Wheaton, Illinois. 316 AM 1988. My wife Meg and I were sleeping on the waterbed that she had hauled from Laramie, Wyoming to Lincoln, Nebraska. And after we got married, we carried it to Melbourne, Florida, and then back to Wheaton, Illinois. The bed was cozy with the temperature set just right. Our marriage was cozy. Both of us had been divorced when we met, but that didn't stop us from getting married and looking forward to a peaceful life together. One of the reasons I liked Meg was she was unattached to her family. She had disowned her sister and three other siblings. Her mother and father had divorced when she was very young, and they were not a part of her life. Thus, no family conflict to disturb our marriage, or so I thought. After Meg's mother divorced her father, Ruth and young Meg had moved from St. Louis, Missouri to California. Meg's mother had a mental breakdown and was institutionalized and treated with electrical shock treatments. Meg was sent to an orphanage. And as she recalled, she was captive of the state of California, imprisoned with bars on windows. Meg's escape came when her aunt and uncle in Michigan took her in and thus that became her family. Back to Wheaton, Illinois, 3.16 a.m., and the phone on the bedside table was ringing. I raised up from the comfort of the waterbed. Groggily, I answered, "Uh, This is Larry. I certainly didn't recognize the voice on the other end of the phone. I was the manager of the TV production department at WCFC-TV 38 in Chicago, and I had no idea why someone would have a problem at this hour of the day. The voice on the phone said, Hello, I'm so-and-so with the CBSA, the Canadian Border Service Agency. And do you know a Ruth McCourtney? By this time, Meg was slowly rising to ask, Who was it? I covered the mouthpiece of the phone and said someone from Canada was calling about her mother, Ruth. He went on to say that Ruth had boarded an airplane in California and had flown to Canada without a passport and she wouldn't be allowed into the country. 
After Meg and I were able to relay some of her psychological history to the border service agent, he was sympathetic and said all he could do was to make sure she would be sent back to her original destination in California. We hung up the phone and gave each other a hug and turned over. As I was pondering this sad situation, I was wondering if I was going to be confronted with the craziness that possessed her mother. Was this passed on to Meg? I didn't have the answer lying on the waterbed. The third bed, Boca Raton Regional Hospital, Florida, 9.16 p.m., April 21st, 2016. The night before, I'd received this message on my answering machine. Hi, Larry, it's Meg. I just wanted to let you know I got the hemoglobin uh, number back. It's 10.2. Happy days. I love you. Bye. I can only imagine. She was in a hospital bed. We could hardly recognize her. Just 36 hours earlier, she had danced with me beside a bed in a low-risk ICU ward. They were fixing to move her to a regular bed, but an hour after I left her with a smile on her face and the assurance that she was getting better, I got a call as I was heading north on Interstate 95, feeling happy and good that Meg was getting better. I got this call on my cell phone. It was hard to understand what he was saying. It was Dr. Joshua. Meg had cardiac arrest and they were trying to revive her and she was being immediately placed in the intensive care unit. By the time I could reverse my course and get back to the hospital, she had been attached to tubes and ventilators and monitors all over that small cubicle that held Meg's bed. Meg had let me know many times, if I ever get that bad, let me go. I'd called family members. The sister that she had disowned many years before from Michigan was there because they had reconciled and settled the grudge that kept them apart. Jeff, her cousin, brother from Orlando, was there. Reuben, her son from her first marriage, who I considered my son as well, flew in on a red-eye from Bozeman, Montana, and he was there. Joshua, our son from Eustace, Florida, was there. Mel, Josh's significant other, was there as well. We all gathered in the cubicle to say goodbye to Meg. Mel leaned in and said, it would be my honor to be your daughter-in-law, not knowing if Meg actually heard her. I was on the right side of the hospital bed holding Meg's hand. I thought I felt a small squeeze of her hand as I said, I love you. Remembering what she had said many times before that she wanted a certain song played at her funeral, I'd always brush that comment off, never thinking this time would come. But I asked Reuben if he could find that song on his phone. He did. And I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me was played 
on his phone next to Meg's ear so she could hear it. Meg gave no emotion, but we assumed she was savoring the lyrics because the song expressed what it would be like meeting Jesus for the first time. And I knew that Meg was ready to meet Jesus with the assurance that she was headed in a better place with no more pain. We were all holding hands. Tears were in our eyes as we knew we wouldn't see Meg again in this lifetime as we stood beside her hospital bed. Forever worship you. I can only imagine. As I promised, I would be sharing with you some of my experiences over the years and three pivotal times in my life were wrapped around a bed. Maybe you've experienced circumstances similar to mine and I would love to hear from you. The best way is on my website at larrysortoffunstories.com. Drop me a line or share a story with me. Again, that's larrysortoffunstories.com. And this podcast is sponsored by collagetravelradio.com. Streaming on the internet 24-7 with popular music of the 60s, 70s, right up to today. Music you can sing along with. Collage Travel Radio has great insights to travel all day and all night. That's collagetravelradio.com. I hope you'll join me again next time and find out what's happened in my life. Again, thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Larry, always looking for a sort of fun story to share with you.